Hey friend, I'm so glad you're here. Today is a really special interview. I have been a dietitian for about 15 years now and one of the coolest things about being in this career field for this long is I'm now at this point where I run into people that I met years ago, sometimes a decade plus ago. And when I met them, they were in the thick of their struggle and now they're in a totally different place. And the interview I have for you today is exactly that. It is a story of a client of mine that I met many, many years ago who has overcome her battles with food. And not only did she overcome her battle with food, but she is now serving others in this realm. She is now a licensed clinical social worker who specializes in eating disorders, body dysmorphia, OCD, substance use disorders, and trauma work. What I love about Erin is that while she is on the other side, she has not forgotten what it's like to be in the thick of, of the struggle. So today she's going to talk about her journey, her story, and hitting on things like where do we people please? And at what point do we lose ourselves in that people pleasing tendencies? And how do we bring ourselves back? And when we bring ourselves back, what beauty and empowerment comes with that and how we actually have more to give to the world. She did not believe she would be here. She never thought she would be in this space with food, but the reality is that she is, and she believes that you can get here too. Hey, I am Jess and I'm obsessed with all things nutrition, science, and helping you navigate this information while maintaining a deep sense of peace and empowerment in your body. I'm a registered dietitian who started out with an eating disorder and then fell in love with learning about how God intricately designed our bodies to be resilient and so much more than superficially beautiful. I am now a mama who loves to be healthy, not because of how it makes me look, but because of how it has transformed the energy I can give to my family, my friends, and you. On this show, we hit on real talk around the latest nutrition science and body image resiliency, all while balancing it between grit and grace. Think of this as your weekly audio copy to encourage your empowered eating journey. This is the Fuel Her Awesome podcast. Just a couple of quick things before we dive into this show. Number one, I have completely redone and have ready for you the Empowered Eating Masterclass, totally free, where we are going to break down the top three mistakes that I used to make, that I now see other women make, what I want you to not make or maybe stop making. These are the top three mistakes that keep people stuck, that keep us in the chaotic relationship with food and what you can do instead. And we'll break down all of the elements of empowered eating for you so you can walk away with some tactical tips to start doing today to enhance your empowered eating journey. So that can be found over on my website, jessbrownrd.com. At the very top, you'll see free class or you can find it over on my social at jessbrownrd. We've got that going on in the show and we also have something extra special. Behind the show, there's a lot of work going on, and that work requires two things. I need lots of energy and probably lots of coffee. (laughs) And so if you have not tried Polar Joe coffee, cold brew, I want to invite you to do that right now. Head on over to my website, jessbrownrd.com. Under shop, you will find my favorite supplements. Polar Joe has a unique discount code for all Fuel Her Awesome listeners. Enter Fuel Her Awesome at checkout and you can get 10% off your order. And if you're not sure, you're like, eh, I don't want to commit just yet, just grab the $1 Try It Out bag so you can test it out. I know you're going to get that bag and you are going to be messaging me because everyone does <laughs> and saying, Jess, 
this isn't protein powder. This is iced coffee. How is there protein in it? Can't wait for you to try it, my friend. All those details can be found over at JessBrownRD.com. All right, let's dive in to Miss Erin's interview. Well, Erin, I am so excited to talk to you. This is the first time I'm hearing your story from the other side of things, at the at the other side of this journey. That is so true. I was on the other side, and now I'm on this side. I know. When we first met, you know, we're going to get into your story here in a minute, but I'm just kind of curious, like when we first met and you were in the thick of it and your struggles with food, did you ever think you would be where you're at today? Oh my gosh, no. (laughs) This seemed so far. I was like, I'll never have a good relationship with food. I will never feel comfortable with like that. Just, it seemed it was impossible. Yeah. No, I would never have thought that in a million years. Well, here you are. Well, okay. So let's start from the beginning. Take us back and tell us a little bit about your relationship with food and your journey. Okay. Um, so my relationship with food has always been complicated since I was younger. Um, when I was turned about 16, I kind of fell into a full fledged eating disorder for a while. And then I got treatment and got help and got better but I fell right back into that diet culture because it's all around us. And so without even realizing it over the years, slowly, but surely I was like restricting more, taking more things out. I was not using my voice, like all the things I had learned, I stopped doing. And so it was about, I want to say five or six years ago that my eating disorder got really bad again and turned into a full fledged eating disorder. And I had to seek treatment for it. Um, and that's where I met you. (laughs) Um, but treatment was the best thing that I could have done for myself because I learned how to have that good relationship with food. I learned how to love myself. I learned all these things. And then I was like, you know what, I'm going to go back to school and I'm going to teach this to other people. So I went back to school. I got my master's degree. Now I'm a licensed clinical social worker, helping people with the exact same issues. And it's like, it's the best thing ever. I love, well, I love that so much and personally love it because I did the same thing. Right. And I think, you know, this about my story, I graduated and then realized I wanted to, it was a little bit different of a timeline, but realized I wanted to serve people with eating disorders from the dietetic angle. And so went back to school with that same intention, which I love. And I can tell I, the few times we've caught up between when I met you and treatment. And now I can just tell you are so in this work and it's so fulfilling to you, but it's because you know the struggle, like you've been there before. Yeah. I know the other side. I know what it's, it feels like to be trapped in it. And so to be able to help somebody come out of that, because I came out of that, because I know you can come out of that. It's, oh yeah, it's amazing. I love it. That's incredible. Such incredible work. So I'm kind of curious So you said you recovered and then you went back to it without even realizing it. Tell me a little bit more about that part of the journey. Cause I think when, and correct me if I'm wrong, like you were, you were in adult life when you came back to treatment, you know, it was, you'd, you'd been, you're a mom married, like, and that's a hard thing to do to look at some of the stuff going on and going, this is not healthy. This is not okay. So tell me a little bit about that part of the journey. Yeah. I mean, it started so subtly, I, um, you know, the latest fads kicked in and it was like, okay, 
Um, gluten is bad. So I got rid of gluten out of my diet for years and years. I've always had a really sensitive stomach. So then it was like, oh, dairy is also causing problems. So slowly mm -hmm. but surely I got rid of that as well. Um, and that was for years. And I just thought like, I need to be gluten-free. I need to be dairy-free. This is how I need to be. But then it started becoming more and more and more. Then it was like, oh, but aren't this bad too? Isn't this food bad too? And so just cutting, 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 cutting until there was nothing left. And I was afraid to eat anything, but it was a good, I mean, it was like a 15 year, maybe even more than that journey of wow. this just kind of coming on slowly. My daughter also has really bad stomach issues. And so she really is gluten sensitive. And so as a mom, I'm like, I'm doing this for her. It's mm -hmm. fine. Like mm -hmm. I'm, we're, you know, we're together as a team, which is wonderful, but I took it to the whole next level. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's crazy how insidious those things are oh and gosh, they yeah. just build and build. Was there a turning point that, or something that happened that really made you think, okay, this is not healthy. It's crossed a line. I can remember, I think there were a few, but I remember I was driving. I think I just drove my daughter to school and I had a protein bar for breakfast sitting next to the seat. And I was terrified to eat it. It was just a protein bar. And I was like, I, I can't eat it. And I threw it out the window. And I was like, this is, wait a minute. Like what? Oh my gosh, this isn't wow. even something is wrong. Yeah. Something is seriously wrong because I was, I was deathly afraid of it. Wow. Wow. And you had said something that I thought was so powerful before you said you hadn't realized it until this, this protein bar moment, because like, there's so much diet culture mentality. There's so much that normalizes this. So I'm curious, like what about throwing the protein bar out the window suddenly didn't feel normal? Because it was like, this protein bar was gluten-free dairy. It mm. checked all the boxes, right? In the diet world, this was the magical protein bar. And I was like, I can't eat it. I'm scared. I'm scared to eat it. And that's when I knew like, oh, wow, this, this has really taken, because this is supposed to be the health food, right? It wasn't even good. Like <laughs> I don't eat those protein <laughs> bars anymore because they're, they don't taste good, but but I was, yeah, I was terrified of it. Wow. Wow. That's powerful. So I know when we were talking about, you know, what you wanted to share here on the podcast and through your journeys, one of the themes that came out for you was this idea of being a people pleaser. And this is something that you had to work on a lot in yourself. And I know you really help others work on this now. So I'm just curious when you were going through maybe the first round of the eating disorder and then the second round of the eating disorder, where did you, looking back, where do you see some of the people pleasing tendencies that were popping up? Ooh, I mean, all over the place. So I, um, I had lost myself really to people pleasing, to making sure that everybody else was happy around me and everybody else's needs came before mine. So I needed, you know, my spouse to be happy, my daughter to be happy, my mom to be everybody happy. And I lost myself in the mix. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't know what I wanted anymore. And my eating disorder was really, of course, that control of like, I, I'm not controlling anything else. I'm not doing anything else for myself. So this I'm going to hold on to. Um, and I noticed it, you know, as a teenager, it was me trying to like 
please my parents and make sure everybody was happy. And I come from a divorced house. And so like, let's make sure everything's great. And as an adult, it was more like in my work, in my everyday relationships, just like, well, what do you want to do? Okay, we'll do that. And just losing sight of who I was as a person and who, and what I wanted. So good. Cause how many of us do that? I mean, I think we just, as women naturally have that people pleasing tendency, like, Oh yeah. You know, the world's trying so hard to give us a different microphone to hold, but we're just, it's, it's hard to change that internal narrative that like, it's more important to take care of their feelings. Like we're responsible for their feelings and we should neglect our own. But what I think is interesting is that you like said that you held on to the eating disorder because it gave you control. Like it was something that maybe it was an escape from the people pleasing that was just so overwhelming in all those areas from, from adulthood to teenage years. Absolutely. I had, I didn't have anything that was really my identity anymore. And Mm -hmm. I think, like you said, that happens to us as women, I think, and it's people pleasing. It's, it can be an okay quality sometimes, but you can't mm-hmm. lose yourself to it, you know? So I had lost myself to it. And so I didn't have anything and the eating disorder. Yeah. It was like an escape, like a, this is what I have. This mm-hmm. is what can just be mine. And I'll make everybody else happy with everything else. Wow. So when you were in the thick of it, did you know, did you have this level of self-awareness or is this all retrospect? All retrospect. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's great. <laughs> Lots of counseling and like, oh, right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's what I did. Yeah. Yeah. So when did you start putting these pieces of the puzzle together? I think it was the second time I sought treatment. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, six years ago or whatever it was, it it all kind of started to make sense because it was stuff I had learned before as well when I was 16, but, you know, I was a teenager. That was a different time in my life. And so it just started to fit. It was like, Oh my gosh, I've done this my entire life. And I've done it so much that who am I? And what do, what do I stand for? Where's my voice? Mm -hmm. Who am I? That was like the big, the big theme because I was such a people pleaser that I never thought about my own feelings and what I wanted or needed. And that can be a scary question to start asking. Right. Right. And it took me, I mean, it took me a while. It didn't just happen overnight, but I was like, you know what? I want to go back to school and I don't care how old I am. And I don't care that I, you know, have a daughter and it doesn't matter. Like I'm going to do this. And I'm so glad I did because yeah, look where I'm at now, but I would not have been here had I not had that journey. Right. You had to be brave enough to like ask the one, ask the question, who am I and who do I want to be? But then two, to actually start exploring it. Yeah. It's so cool. So when you're working with women now, I'm curious, how do you help them connect these dots? Cause you know, I'm, you've been through it, you've lived through it and now you have professional training on it. So what are some of the ways you help women find that within themselves and redirect it? A lot of times it comes out just through us talking, right? It's like, it's like they're putting everybody else's needs first. Mm -hmm. But what I always suggest is we always start really small because a lot of times we've been people pleasers all our lives. Mm -hmm. We don't even know, like, like for me, I had lost, what do I even want to do? I don't know. Right. So with the women I work with, it's really those baby steps. Like let's practice with somebody safe. And I want you to tell them like what you want for dinner. 
not, oh, whatever, I'll just do whatever makes you happy. But like, mm-hmm. really think about it, sit with yourself for a minute. What do you want for dinner? And it can be something as simple as that. And then taking those baby steps empowers you like, oh my gosh, I really did want Italian tonight. And that really hit the spot. And so then tomorrow night I can say, and it's okay to be flexible, right? It's okay to be like, you can decide tomorrow night and I'll decide tonight. But having that understanding of what you want and that, that voice just, oh, it just helps the healing so much. So we start small baby steps, baby, baby, baby steps, but then it kind of builds. I love that. Yeah. Cause how many of us are like, yeah, whatever. I don't really care. You know, mm-hmm. and we just roll with it. And then you're upset because you, you're eating something going, I didn't actually want this. It doesn't taste good. And the yeah. resentment builds. So just like the resentment builds, you're saying the empowerment builds. Once we start yep. like asking for what we need and we get it, and we're like, hey, that was okay. Nobody was upset about it. Like, yeah. yeah. Well, and then it's the whole idea of learning to take up space. And I mean, we you know this, but for those not listening, I mean, this is or who haven't, maybe been through the same type of journey when anyone struggles with some sort of eating disorder, there's this whole like realm of learning to take up space and that's physical space with our body and emotional space with our needs. And so I think it's really cool that you highlight this. It's that finding your voice is truly learning to like say, I am here in the world and worthy of an opinion. Absolutely. And it's, it's not, bulldozing over people. I think some Mm -hmm. people get the wrong impression that we're going to be too assertive or too, too much, but it's really Mm -hmm. just, yeah, I'm here. And I do have this opinion and it matters. Mm -hmm. It does matter. And so starting small with that safe person can feel really good. And then it just builds and builds and builds until you're feeling confident enough to say what you need at work, you know, say what you need from your mom, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's so good and magical. It's so good. So th- I'm curious though, for the ones that feel guilty, because there's the whole thing of like, I don't want to take up space. I don't want to impose, but then there's the whole, like, well, I don't, I feel guilty for wanting to like carve out time for myself. And it's the same thing, same thing, just a little bit different yep. tune. So how do you help people who suffer from that chronic guilt when trying to take care of themselves? Oh my gosh. I think it's, oh, it's so ingrained in us to have that guilt. And I, I hate guilt. I really do it. And working with women now, like I I just hate it. And I just wish I could get rid of it. You know, be like, poof, no more guilt. But what it really boils down to is helping them be the best version of themselves, which can't happen if they're not taking care of themselves. So it's us figuring out, okay, what about five minutes? Like, do you need five minutes to go and take a hot bath, to go meditate, to go for a walk. Because as moms too, I feel like a lot of moms are like, I can't take that time away from my kids. Mm-hmm. Like totally need that time. Right. But it's, how are you going to show up for your kids? If you're not showing up for yourself, you're, you're stressed and you're upset. And this is the side you're showing them. But if you take time to take care of yourself, even if it's a little bit here and there, you're showing them not only that that's okay. And that that's normal and that they should take time for themselves, mm. but you're showing them the best version of you. And it's when I finally got that, my daughter could see the difference. I know she could, because it was like, oh, like I was the best version of me. I wasn't just trying to be this like perfect people pleasing person. I was a real person and that allowed her to be a real person. I think. How do you know that? Like what changes did you see as you went through that? Because that's a great observation. 
you know, she told me <laughs> like straight <laughs> that, up. That'll tell you. <laughs> yeah, we had the conversation, but I noticed too, that she started taking more risks and she started, you know, just little things that she wasn't doing before. And I was kind of leading by example. And we want our kids to do self-care. We want them to have time for themselves, but we have to show them that they're going to mirror what they see us do. And if we're not taking time for ourselves, they're not going to either. They're not going to think it's important. So that guilt, it, it's helpful to talk it through with someone and like, where does it come from? All of those things, but also realizing like, you might feel a little guilty at first, but you're going to end up feeling so much better in the long run that you're going to be a better mom, a better spouse, better daughter, all of these things in the long run. That's so cool. I can't believe she just straight up told you that's when that's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Good for her. Like clearly it's working. Your modeling is working if daughter's coming in and saying that. But um, okay, so just so I kind of re-summarize it here. So I love what you said to start small. So when you're initially trying to create your own voice and learn to take up a little bit more emotional space, starting small, asking, to, stating what you actually want for dinner or where you actually want to go for lunch on Saturday afternoon, something like that in yep. safe spaces. And then the the getting over guilt piece is remember, I, the biggest thing I heard you say, Aaron, is that remember that you're modeling this to those around you. So if you're not modeling it, you can't expect the ones you love to be able to do it for themselves. So we really have to practice what we preach. Absolutely. Yeah, we really have to. And when you start to do that, you start to feel better. And so the guilt actually starts to disappear because you're, you are feeling better and you're like, I am showing everybody this and yeah. Yeah. The guilt goes away so quick when you're an amazing human that shows back up. When right. You're doing great. Yep. Yeah. You're like, I am so much more pleasant to be around <laughs> when I do this for myself. Exactly. I had this one. So I work out in the morning. That's like my hour, but I went through this whole period where I felt super guilty about not being there in the morning to help my boys like get breakfast on the table and pack their lunches. And my husband, bless his soul. He's so wonderful. He does all of that piece for us. Like he's the morning guy. But I remember I came home one day and he had made the kids breakfast, made the kids lunch, got them dressed, teeth brushed, dishwasher was unloaded, you know, everything was done. And I, I felt guilty. I was like, I'm their mom. I should be packing their lunch. Like that's what I should be doing. It's kind of the mom thing, you know? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I felt really guilty about it. So I actually, I remember I was like toying with the morning and I started leaving early. I kind of started cutting my workout short so I could get home and I'd rush in and try to squeeze it all in before I went and showered. It was exhausting. It didn't work. <laughs> and I finally realized I was like, gosh, I got to let this go. And it, there was kind of like a faith part in the releasing of it. Cause I just had to go, you know, I, I'm just going to do this. Cause it seemed to work better when I wasn't trying so hard. And when I just let myself be and go to the gym in the morning, come home, thank my husband for the amazing work that he does kids, my kids say good morning and then do everything else I needed to do. What I found is I was in a much better mood throughout the day. And then when I picked the kids up, I was a much more engaged mom because I wasn't like starting the day from like being behind the curve already trying to fit too much in. Right. Right. Absolutely. And you're giving your husband this time with the kids. Like that's the right? time that he gets with them. Thank you for saying that. Cause I think that's another thing we, we don't necessarily like naturally think of, we think we're supposed to do it all. And mm -hmm. we forget that, you know, it's not a sign of weakness 
to let other people on our team be a part of our team. And that goes for the home life. I think for the work world too, you know, we don't have to do everything at work. We can actually rely on teammates and and let them do what they're amazing at and be a team. Yeah. And it's so important for our mental health to do that, to ask, ask for that help, to ask for what we need. It's, oh, it's huge for your mental health. It's huge, but it is so hard. So I, you know, I just want to go back to some of this because I know so many people listening are like, ah, I, I feel that I understand it and I relate to it, but I still don't want to ask for help. You know, mm-hmm. like I still don't want to, it, it's hard to do. So how do you talk people through that? Really? It's so taking that first step is going to be the hardest. That's mm-hmm. just going to be the hardest. I mean, even with a safe person, it's going to feel really awkward and weird inside because you're going to be like, I don't usually do this. Like this doesn't feel right. It's kind of like working out any muscle. It might be a little weak. And this muscle right now is really weak. <laughs> and so we got to build it up. And so practicing with those safe people, I always tell my clients, like, this is going to feel weird. <laughs> this is going to feel bizarre but go with it. Just go with it. Try it. Just try it that first time and see how it makes you feel. So the asking for what you want for dinner, sometimes it's like, what movie would you like to see? What would you like to do on the weekends? Things that you might normally be like, I don't care, you know, whatever, but really being like, you know what? I really would like to go for a walk. That's really important to me. And like, Just, I think those baby steps give you strength, but I'm going to be honest, it's hard. It's really hard. And so we got to work that muscle. We got to train it. We got to keep going. And what you start to realize over time is when you ask for what you need, nobody is dying. Nobody hates you. Nobody falls apart. Like things still move on. The world works. And sometimes in the case with like a spouse, they're relieved because they don't have to come up with everything all the time you're actually making a decision. So I have found that too with some clients. They're like, oh, people actually are enjoying this because it takes the pressure off of them. Now I can have a voice too. Whereas before I was just doing whatever they wanted to do. Now wow. a lot of pressure on them. It's so good. So it's like, it's like a muscle. It's like learning a new workout. And if we, totally I, I'm such a athlete in my head that that really speaks to me. I'm like, okay. So if I have never done this move before, I could expect it to be hard and uncomfortable and probably going to be sore, but over time I will get stronger if I keep doing it. Yeah. And that's the key not to do it once and be like, okay, (laughs) I did it. (laughs) I'm cured. (laughs) I stated my voice. (laughs) Yeah. But to continue to do it. And I find your voice gets a little bit louder the more you practice it. Oh, I totally agree. My voice is so stinking loud now that it's, I mean, I have a podcast voicing my opinions about everything, but if you would have asked Jess 15, 20 years ago, completely, completely different story. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. That voice just gets stronger and stronger and stronger and it's amazing and it's super empowering. So I'm curious, like bringing it back to the eating disorder, you learning to find your voice, take up space and let go of some of this people pleasing. How did that impact your relationship with the food and your body? A total, total shift. So I went from being very fearful of food to, you know, counting things and all this, you know, space in my brain was consumed with these food thoughts and these food rules and all of this stuff to now having the freedom to listen to my body. And mm. I mean, you t- 
taught me that to understand like, oh, like I'm really craving some carbohydrates. I must really need that right now. Like your body's so smart. It does tell you when it needs stuff. And I don't have that space in my head anymore where I'm thinking those thoughts. It's exhausting to think about that all day long and to have that fear of food and to have that freedom. Like, I just want to share it with everybody. I just want everybody to feel this way because it's, oh, it's such a relief. It's such a relief. And you can really, like, I don't have any foods that are off limits anymore. And that just, like, that would not have happened 10 years ago. That would have been like such a scary thought to me. But now it's like, why not? Like, there's no foods that are off limits. It's, they're all good. It's all great. It makes me so, I just have this huge smile on my face. I'm, I love hearing that uh, from you, especially from based on, you know, what you said at the beginning where you never thought you would be here today. And yeah. it's, it is such a cool thing to see people go through the whole circle or the whole transition and the whole cycle of healing. And you really have done that. But what I like about what you said, Erin, is that it was truly like finding your voice and like being able to be solid in that is what allowed you to trust your body. It was like, once you kind of said like, Hey, no, I, I do have an opinion about things. And you started giving yourself credibility. It's almost like then it just naturally, you gave your body credibility and that healed the relationship, which I think is so powerful because I mean, so many women, when they come, they, and you probably remember this, like they want me to tell them what to eat. And I I will at a certain point, like we'll talk about the food, but that's not going to fix it. And Mm -hmm it really has to be that like connection with their body and finding peace and trust. And I love how you highlight it's finding your voice. It's, it's it being is. able to say that, say what you need out loud. Yeah. And when you start to do that, it's like your body has its own voice too. Then it starts to get louder. Your body's like telling you what it needs. Whereas before you weren't listening, you weren't connected at all. Mm-hmm. And now, now you kind of know. So yeah, when you can trust your own voice, then you start to trust your body as well. And that just takes practice. Just takes, you know, flexing that muscle. So good. So good, Erin. Well, I love what you've already said about how you never thought you'd be here, but here you are. And now not only are you here, you're helping other people, (laughs) which is so beautiful. But what was something that you needed to hear 10, 15 years ago? It's like, if you could go back in time and whisper this in your ear, what's something you would have told yourself, you would tell yourself? You know, I think so many things, but the, the main thing I think is I would have really said like, Hey, would you talk to somebody else that way? The way you talk to yourself, because that was really powerful for me in recovery. Like I would never say the things I say to myself to anybody else, or I would never expect anybody else to do the people pleasing that I was doing. I would never put that on somebody else. And so when I turned it like why are you doing that to yourself then then I was like oh why am I yeah why am I doing that like this is yourself you only have one self you only have one body so taking care of it and fueling it and all those wonderful things it yeah it's just so important so I yeah I would have said like why do you treat yourself different than you would treat other people so good. So good, Aaron. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story here. I am so grateful to hear it. Like, like I said, hearing it from this side is, 
it's just, I don't even have words to describe how <laughs> cool it is. But I, what I love again, so much about your story is that because you were able to find your voice, find your recovery, you have now like live in the space where you serve other people at a greater and amazing capacity. And I just, I want to like commend you for that, praise you for it. Cause it's just so incredible. It's yeah. It's super empowering for me. And thank you so much for having me. Cause it's so exciting to share my story and share, share what has changed and share just all. And I love, I just love helping women and men through this journey because there is another side and so much better on the other side. Gosh, I'm so glad you joined me today. If today encouraged you, would you take a minute and encourage me by leaving a review for the show? I read every single one of these reviews and your words, they mean so much to me. This podcast is here to support you weekly, but it only scratches the surface. To learn more on how you can become an empowered eater, snag my free workshop, how to eat intuitively and hit your goals without obsessing over food at jessbrownrd.com. Don't forget to join me right here next Monday where I cannot wait to fuel your awesome. Cheers, my sweet friend, and happy eating.